Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. In this episode, I am sitting down with Emily Luck, CEO and co-founder of Plenty, which has designed the first platform for couples with finances in mind. Think about how much money do you need to have a child? What exactly do your finances need to look like before you consider buying a house? How much should you save for a wedding if you want that at all? Emily's platform, Plenty, answers all of these questions and so much more without the high cost of a financial planner. Now, Emily has a background in wealth management, and so she is bringing this first of its kind application to the industry, wealth management for couples. And with 65% of millennial couples partnering up, honestly, it's more relevant than ever before. Emily explains her journey to developing plenty and what she hopes will be the start of a greater future for wealth management and access to all types of people and couples. So I am so excited for you to hear more about Emily, her journey as a woman in fintech, as a new entrepreneur and founder in the fintech space, and all of the twists and turns that come with that journey to building plenty. All right, enjoy this episode. Emily, look co-founder and CEO of Plenty. Thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech, and thank you for coming into the studio here in Brooklyn, Williamsburg specifically. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to get to learn more about you and Plenty, which is a, how would you, what's the one-liner for Plenty? Well, how do you describe it? The place where couples can invest and plan for their future together. Gosh, I love that. Well, I mean, my partner is watching us as we record this, so this should be a treat. Um, but first and foremost, you are a human of fintech. Please connect the dots for us a little bit about how you found your sense of belonging and purpose in the fintech space. Yeah, so my journey actually started, I went to a high school in downtown Toronto, and we were a couple blocks away from Bay Street. It's in the Canadian version of Wall Street. So from 12 onwards, I was right around the streets where you'd see, you know, the suits with the briefcases, and I was always so curious what they did when they went to the big banking co- like powers. <laughs> and I always had that kind of seat in the back of my mind. I was really lucky I had an internship when I was at university and I ended up getting a mentor there at PwC. And I told him, I was like, I want to go to the world of nonprofits and healthcare and all these places where I could help people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you move really quickly. I actually think you're going to really enjoy working in tech. And at the time, you're like, it's information technology. And it's like, oh, that's such an old school name that he what he met with software. Yeah. And so he introduced me to someone who would actually eventually go on to be my boss. And he was, um, you know, he worked at a venture firm. And so I got my start off in the tech world, working in venture. And I started off at the age of 20 there. That fund ended up actually investing in a lot of fintech companies. So I ended up having the chance to see a lot of companies that were Canadian companies expanding to the U.S. market or already were in the U.S. market. So that was really my introduction. Mm. But where I really got immersed was and in 2015 when I had the opportunity to join Stripe and they were just starting to build out their business and growth team. And so I had this opportunity to join them in San Francisco. I decided to pack everything up in Toronto and then moved on over. Um, and at the time, they, you know, we didn't even have titles really at the time. So it was a much earlier stage of the company. 
But then I really had the chance to fall in love with fintech because there's just so much complexity there. Mm-hmm. Well, and you loved tech. You know, at least your mentor had seen that. And mm-hmm. I mean, he may have no, not realized it at the time, but really the short answer there is that you were like, I want to be able to help people and do something like an nonprofit or do something that, that betters the world while also being interested in, you know, tech and finance. And, you know, so he was just like, fintech, fintech is the thing that will do that. Um, but that's really cool. And I think that it's like important to share that because people, I think, especially maybe the more consumer audience doesn't always connect mm-hmm. wanting to do good with the fintech space. But I'm really working on yeah making that story more known. Well, I think money is just such a personal thing and it can have such an impact on someone's life. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. And then through tech, it really is. And the way that my metric framed it to me at the time was, this is one way that you can scale your impact far beyond the amount of hours you're spending. So it's not as much of like, you know, sometimes with medicines, like if the number of hours you had is the number of patients you did see, mm-hmm. or it's with tech, there's really the ability to scale far, far beyond the number of hours that you put in. Okay. That's really good advice. We're, you got to talk to your mentor there. We love that. And also this, the importance of mentorship. But okay, so you find your way into fit tech, you're at Stripe and Stripe, kind of like Plaid, it makes me think of, you You know, one of my fellow guests, Helen Min. I mean, she had said how working at those companies is like going to FinTech University 101 at the early stages. Does that sentiment feel right for you? Absolutely. So when I was actually in venture, I started off with doing my CPA designation. I also started the first two levels of the CFA designation and actually finished my last CFA level when I was actually at Stripe. And if I compare what I learned through both like those two designations versus that Stripe, Stripe was like deep immersion into everything FinTech. And the beauty of it was they had this policy of transparency where you can really easily understand what every single team in the whole company was doing. Mm-hmm. So we had email transparency and also this practice of having meeting notes. So anybody could follow along, which I did, like every month I would pick a fee. So I'd follow like the legal team for a month and read all of the notes from every meeting they had that month. Then I just think about the partnerships team and I think about the compliance team and the risk team. And so there was an ability to kind of understand all these different parts of the company really easily. And then if I compare that to, you know, the CPA and the CM, that's actually much more technical. So I was like, how do these instruments work? Or like, how does this tax work? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really about how the industry worked, which is so much of what I was able to do and see a strike. Right. I think that's that's also an important message to put out there that, you know, it, fintech is incredibly technical. Don't get me wrong. I'm still trying to like, I explain things and my performance coach slash life partner slash Anton over here is like, yeah, you can't say things like that. No one knows what you're talking about. But this, I was like, this is the most simplified way I could say it. He's like, no, no, no one, no audience is still going to understand. Yeah. And, (laughs) but I bring that up because it's like, it is so technical, but even, you know, we have to put the narrative out there that it is still very much for people that are interested in these greater picture, you know, solving bigger problems of the world. Right. I mean, economic equity being, I think, our chosen cause for the most part. Absolutely. I think. There's so much of knowledge that it's actually more complicated than it needs to be. And I think it would benefit so many people if finance and financial concepts were just explained in a way that was accessible to anybody. And I actually think that's so much of the role and so much of what I've seen with your work as well, which is making it accessible so it doesn't seem scary. So people don't feel like it's something they can't understand, right? Especially for why the plenty exists. So much of it is, hey, 
you can understand this. You don't need to go pay someone thousands of dollars mm-hmm. when actually you're not that far away from doing it yourself. Right, right. Uh, well, and people just need that extra nudge, I think, generally. And even if you're in the industry, even if you're in fintech and working in fintech, it can still feel finance, technology, all of these things. It's, I think, one of the most common probably misconceptions about me to a consumer audience would be that I'm like a personal finance expert. <laughs> Let me just say it right now. I'm not. So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out um, and, and, along with my partner. But, you know, I'm I'm a woman managing my financial independence while trying to build a media company or, or am building one. And it's still difficult even having all of the knowledge of the industry. When did you kind of, I guess, pinpoint that couples were an opportunity for the fintech space or at least wealth management for couples. Yeah. So really there were two moments, one that was seated long before Plenty and then one that was really the catalyst for Plenty. Mm-hmm. So when I, I mentioned that I had the opportunity to go to this high school that was downtown, I actually had the opportunity to also attend university classes. So when I was 15, I actually took this course by this economist that just talked about population demographics. And he actually was the economist for the government of Canada to help them think about policy that matched the number of people, the demographics of the population, all the different cultures, the ages, the genders, and make sure that policy actually matches where the citizens are. And I meant like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I really love worrying about that because it explained so many things to me. It felt like there was actually a really core part of why the world is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And as I think about some of the biggest generational trends that we are in right now, if you think about the millennial generation, you know, they're the second largest generation in North America. Mm-hmm. And they're entering their, their, you know, right around 20, mid-20s to early 40s. And they're entering this time where actually very rapidly they're partnering up. And actually, almost 65% of this generation is partnered up. What is it? Well, yeah, they are. And it's something that people actually might not even realize, but especially this year, there's 5 million people getting married this year alone. And so that's also not even just people who are, you know, getting into long-term partnerships, moving in together. And so one of the things uh, specifically about that is the unique thing about our generation, though, that unlike generations before us, is more than 80% of couples are both working. And so when both people are working, actually, there's built-in independence because they both have a source of income. And there's also a source of, but we still want to do things together. Mm -hmm. And so we actually started thinking about the space that Plenty was in, actually, you know, long before we got engaged, but really after Channing and I, my co-founder, we got engaged, we realized, we're like, wait, how, why are there no products and how is there no easy way to feel like we're combining togetherness but also maintaining some independence. So I was like, not Esther Perel paradox, you know, like that and together. Right? But it's the same thing with money. I think it's like, oh, I want to still feel independent. I want to still feel like I am part of the answer and they know what's going on. But I also want to feel like we're together. We can rely on each other. We're doing this as a team. Mm-hmm. So when did you and your fiance uh, meet? So we met working together at actually the startup that we were both at before we built Plenty. Okay. And so it was a startup that I went to right after Stripe named Even. And Even is now acquired by Walmart and Lin. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, acquired about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And Even was really focused on people who were helping people who are living paycheck to paycheck, 
reach a point of financial stability. Mm. And so we had, you know, budgeting, automatic savings, which was one of the products that Chimney worked on. Actually, a bunch of the goals-based insights that we have now with 20K from that. And then we also had the earliest version of Erdwage Access. Okay. Amazing. So you meet at this other startup, mm-hmm. it gets acquired, and then you take some time to, you know, rest, soul search, all the things. Mm-hmm. And then you're, and during that time is when the idea of Plenty came up, when you two decided to, you know, eventually get married and all of that. And I mean, I guess you realize that it could really be something. How had like the transition to like an actual product start to really look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we ended up taking about a year to build a novel together because we knew that whatever we did next, we'd be spending a lot of time just fully investing that and weren't sure the next time we'd both be able to take time off. So we spent about a year traveling, actually in the middle of COVID too, <laughs> and I went you know, all across North America, parts of Europe, the Caribbean, and it started off kind of old school J.K. Rowling-esque, like on a napkin. And we were sitting in Europe at a cafe, like, and we just had a piece of paper. And we're like, what if we could just answer a question on bar lives? Like, how much we want for a house and how much do kids cost and how much we need to make in order to support the lifestyle we want? How we answer all these questions? And we just started sketching this out on a napkin. And at first, it started off as just being, oh, this is just, you know, us, like, thinking creatively. We're, we had a lot. We were very creative during that time. We had lots of ideas about different products. But this was the one we kept coming back to. And we, you know, started talking to more people. We also love meeting people when we travel. So we just started talking to other pe- travelers. And so we're like, oh, what do you guys do? And we just yeah. kept hearing over and over that other people, especially other couples who were traveling together, also had a similar problem. And we're like, oh, huh, this is strange. Like, is it just the people that we're meeting because we're traveling? Yeah. We went back to the U.S., started just asking more people. Same thing over and over. It's hard to plan and invest when you're working with a partner. And you're trying to figure out how to do it together. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is one person who knows a little bit more ends up taking more of the lead. Mm-hmm. And then one person feels like, oh, you're so much more uh, like advanced and ahead that they take actually almost like a step back. <laughs> and when you're like, boom, like I actually think the healthiest partnership is you can still have a lead. You can still have someone who does yeah. a little bit more, still have someone who's like a little bit more of like, okay, you're explaining it to me. But like, what would it look like if people felt like they were more on the same page? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like one person does everything, one person isn't involved at all. Mm-hmm. And then you consolidated it into a platform, into an app. Exactly. Which helps couples navigate what that actually looks like. Yeah. And then also execute on that. Okay, I know. As you were sharing that story, I felt so seen. I'm like looking at Anton like, <laughs> remember when we traveled for five weeks in India and you up? And then, I mean, we were sharing the story before we started recording, but I will re- reshare. But we... You know, two about two days into our travels in India, we realized like, ooh, neither of us know how much money is being spent. I'm just spending, you know, one minute I'm buying a painting for our friends at our house, and the next minute, Anton's getting a soup fitted, and I'm just like, oh god, because look at what is happening, and then no one knows how much money we're spending on food. And so, but it only took us, you know, at least it took us only two days to realize that. And I mean, you did it on a napkin. We did it just like on our bedroom, like our our bed in the hotel that we were at. We just like dunked all of our what money we had with cash, what, what rupees and coins and, and cards and what we were willing. And we had to map it out just like right then and there. But oh man, how nice would it have been to have gone into that trip with a little planning, right? And I also think that maybe culturally with a couple and two people working, it can sometimes almost just be like a, 
oh, I get this, and then you get this, and then you get, and then you never really know how much all of that adds up. But there are many, many challenging wealth management elements of being in a couple. And the stress adds up even more, especially now with rising health prices, are they still like student loans? And now you're trying to figure out how much does a baby cost? I don't know that it's a lot of money, but surely I don't need that up in the first year. Right. So that how do I, you know, plan for the baby? But can we afford a house? And how much we need it. Oh my gosh, weddings are really expensive now. Yeah. Well, and try to figure it out all at once. Right. And then it's like, I mean, a bank doesn't really do anything for you unless you get action, and then unless you get legally married. And then mm-hmm. all that happens is like your accounts are now joint. Mm-hmm. And what we've actually found is that increasingly a lot of couples, especially these dual income, dual career couples, they don't want to only have joint accounts. Mm-hmm. The default actually is that they still have some things that are independent. Some couples are like, oh, you know, 20% of roughly what we have, we keep separate. Sometimes that's actually 80%, only 20% is joint. But actually, the default now has changed. Whereas 20 years ago, the default was that everything is fully joint. Okay. So I feel, I feel like plenty is a blend of many things. I feel like it is a fintech application, but it's like deeply in the wealth management space, but also you have a CFP background. Like, and so there's this like financial advice element and that can probably be pretty disruptive to the financial advisory business and space given I feel like that's, you know, even just in my partnership, that's one of the things where I'm like, should we get a financial advisor now? Like, is it time? Must those are expensive. I don't want to do that. So I guess if like someone was just wanting to get started with plenty i could use us for an example uh sounds like no it's gonna be okay and so okay so imagine us we're like you know or you could call us henry's yeah you know we're getting our we're just getting our money right mm-hmm. what is like one of the first and or I, I guess maybe financially we're hoping to get to a place where we're like so where we feel comfortable to maybe take that next step like getting married or whatever mm-hmm. don't worry yeah let me propose yeah <laughs> but anyways, this is all hypothetical. So you mean in terms of onboarding to the product? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what would yeah. then? So I found plenty and I want help. Like what's the next? Like what's that looking yeah. like? So the first thing we do is we ask, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. And these could just be as simple as I want to start saving because our savings account currently is a cash management product that offers 4.86%, which is pretty much one of the highest at least yeah. in the market. And so you can start saving and get that rate. Or maybe you're like, oh, I want to start investing. We also have a more advanced part of how we thought about all the financial products we want to offer is really look at what wealth managers offer mm-hmm. to their clients that, you know, everyday households, everyday individuals might not have access to and remove the question of, oh, I want access, but I can't get it. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is not just bring access, but make it so easy to get onboarded into using these products that it was as simple as, you know, one or two button clicks. Mm-hmm. And so you also have the option when you say start investing. Now, maybe for couples, a lot of times when they come to us and when they even have the term financial planning come up in their lines, that's usually because they're like, oh, we actually know when we roughly want to buy a house. Can we afford it? How much do we need to put aside? And how much are your houses even? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wait, and we also, you know, want to plan a wedding. How much are weddings now, Leo's? I know, you know, my mom said well, she's going to help with this much, but then how much is the total? And so, so oftentimes a lot of couples are like, well, you know, independently, I have these goals. Mm-hmm. Together, we also have these goals. And the way that we map it into the product is you could say this is a shared goal that we have. 
You can also say this is a personal goal. So personal means that is something that's yours, but your partner can see it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're like, this is a private goal and it's just for me and my partner can't see it. Okay. So we have these different ways of setting up the permissions Mm -hmm. for these goals. And then once you go into the product, we get you into these parts really easily by saying, hey, actually, we fully automated the process of getting you into an investment portfolio. And we actually, based on your goal, based on your profile, we've already made a recommendation of where to put your money. And maybe you're like, oh, like, that sounds great. Let's go with that. Yeah. So truly, it's just two more button clicks and then you're able to confirm how much money you like to put aside per month. And we also make a recommendation. So for example, if you are going through a home down payment goal and you're like, I don't know how much a house costs, which is what most people actually mm-hmm. literally say, then we pull in a bunch of Zillow data and we'll say, okay, well, the average two bedroom in New York costs this much. The average down payment is this much. And then that means you need to put aside, and if you tell us a time frame you'd like to buy this by, then we tell you between you and your partner, you need to put aside $1,200 per month. And maybe you're like, ooh, you know, one person earns more than the other. So maybe you to decide, like maybe one person puts in a little bit more than the other person. Or maybe you're like, oh, let's split that down the middle. So we make it really easy because we help you estimate the goal amount. How much you need to actually be putting aside every two weeks or every month? And then you guys can figure out how you divvy up that about between the two of you. Mm, okay. And then you also, the last part yeah, of it, it'll just mean. Yeah. So then the last part too that we hear so often for couples is I want to have one place to see everything. Yeah. So yeah. same permissioning system. Mm-hmm. We basically say connect as many accounts as you'd like. And we will also give you the ability to say this is private. This is personal. I've heard it can see it. Or this is shared. Whether it is legally shared or not doesn't matter. We just put that layer on top so you can always see everything in one place. Wow. And does a human get involved at all, maybe by request or no? Or is that something maybe planning for the future? So right now we have humans from a support perspective. So okay. we have a question, yeah. like it's not just fully automated and there. And we definitely are talking to an individual. If you have a more complicated question, you can also hop on the phone. It is something that we're looking and considering layering in more in the future. Mm-hmm. Because we do know that, especially when you go through even bigger life milestones, like you have your kid or, you know, you have this inheritance now so often times because there's such a big change, mm-hmm. it is helpful. And so that's something that we're thinking about further down the road, especially as we're thinking of supporting couples through more stages of their relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I'm like, did you hear that? Should we? Anyway, yeah, how is it accessible? Anyone? Is it free? Talk about that part. And then we can talk about how you make money. Yeah. Great question. So right now, um, we do have a wait list. We're trying to bring on as many as quickly as possible, but we might have an early access link for you. Okay. Yeah. But we do right now have a wait list. So we do free people on through that and looking to basically be scaling up that more rapidly over this year. Okay. Nice. Nice. And then, yes, tell me about how it's waitlisted, but it is, you know, a free, right, platform application. So it was Benefier. Tell me about that. Yeah. So right now, if you use the product on your own, it's $150 per year for the membership. Mm-hmm. If you and your partner both want to use it together, it's $100 per person for the membership. And then on top of that, we want to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. So what we offer that 4.86% uh, savings uh, or cash venture product, we do take a 0.2% fee. Mm-hmm. So most banks actually no, don't disclose how much they make on that. We are very public about that because that... With the federal funds rate, if it increases, your rate automatically increases as well. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to ever have to worry that there might be a delay or anything like that. And then when you invest with us, we do charge a 0.4% fee, 
But we do believe that for many of the households, many of the individuals that are using the product, because we do a much more advanced version of tasseless harvesting, most people more of a make it back that fee and they have the higher after tax returns from that product. Okay. And when is like the estimated time uh, when you hope to release this uh, wait list or let people start to get onboarded? So we are onboarding people. You are. With like every week. Oh, they got it, got it, got yeah, it. We have this important that's coming in every week. Okay, nice, nice. How many people will you kind of start with before you start making like tweaks or starting to get kind of this uh, first wave of users in and for feedback? So actually the way that our team works is we iterate very quickly. So actually we have two onboarding groups per week. And actually, you know, we have one in the beginning of the week, we have one at the end of the week. And then we also, in between those two sprints, we actually do a polish round in between. So every time, twice a week, we're actually polishing the product further. So it's just getting like cleaner and cleaner, also trying to pull in all the feedback. Nice. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I love asking that question just because, I mean, even in the space, you'd be surprised how many times people just want to continue to like shell out a product that they don't actually get any feedback from people that it's actually impacting, right? Or the problem is actually impacting. And so I find that kind of silly when people are like this. But anyways, um, I think especially actually to go full circle yeah. to the beginning of our conversation. So the most common things that we've gotten as questions is, what does return mean? What is it? Why? What are all these different terms? Like how I understand this. And so actually a big part of the polish rails too is layering in more educational information everywhere where there is someone who or multiple people who was a, like, oh, this is unclear. Mm, what is like, I don't understand this. Then we basically put in, you know, an info bubble or put in some additional educational material or write a blog post actually even in the most, you know, deep dive versions where we're layering in educational aspects as we're hearing what, what people don't understand right out the gate. Because we want to be able to support people, whether they are, you know, understand all the turns and, you know, are know like when they're getting right out the gate or people are like, oh, actually, maybe it's the first time I'm investing or I'm, I've only ever invested through a 401k now. And now I'm starting to think about maybe I just got a new promotion. And now I'm trying to think about what should I do to properly set myself up? Well, I think it's important to put that out there, even for, you know, like I said, also at the top, even for people who are in the industry, right? Like, even for like my listeners who are in fintech and working in different spaces, but, you know, it's it, managing your money is very, very different or getting your money right is incredibly important, especially as women working in the space because it helps us keep working in the space. It helps us level up and then <laughs> helps us get to those leadership positions and helps us build companies and, and all of that good stuff. So always aboard to get your money right. Well, Emily, I want to ask you my final question, which is if we need to be the change that we wish to see in the world, what changes do you wish to see in fintech and how do you embody it? I'd really say that if I were to zoom out to consumer trends, even beyond, you know, fintech, it felt like a big part of call it the last 50 years was actually a lot of drive towards almost this like big box store department store concepts where actually you're, there's not that much that is new and it's actually more about bulk and it's all in one place. And I think you lose so much of what makes us as humans, like humans in time and special and unique. And I think a big part of actually how that is reflected in fintech too is I think money is deeply personal. And I think if you look at some of the old school companies like the Vanguards and Schwab's and Fidelities of the world, you know, they've helped a lot of people, but 
the people who are there, the people they help often look very similarly. Mm -hmm. And I think the products reflect that and the way the products are delivered reflect that. A huge part of what we thought a lot about is right now we're starting with couples, but so many of the people where I think there's the greatest opportunity to support that actually are people who they come from family backgrounds where they didn't talk a lot about what you mm-hmm. and they might not have ever had a financial planner that worked with their parents in the family. So they're really the first generations coming into this. And now they're trying to figure out a lot without the traditional support of being able to go ask your parents what to do or their financial yeah. planners. And so I also think what we've seen is typically from other racial and cultural backgrounds, the way money works is also very intermittent within families. And so a big part of how we thought about the multiplayer functionality is that it can extend far beyond just to individuals, to the kids, to the parents who you're also helping with financial decisions with. And that's how we think a lot more about the future of this. But ultimately, that's because we think in the fintech industry, there's a lot more room for really listening to what people are already doing, what families are doing, how they behave, what's important, their values, and then building towards that. And yeah, that's trying to match something on top and just be like, you should just take this. Yes, this is what we think is right instead of really listening to the customers. Correct. I mean, that's it's all I'm trying to get people to see and, and do more of. And it's what makes me, you know, cringe when anyone says like consumer fintech debt just because funding's out a little bit in a year compared to the craziness of 2021 and 2022. And it's just like, what are you talking about yeah, the, we are still in a place where someone making $100,000 a year lives paycheck to paycheck. We're still at a place where, you know, the average American doesn't pay up, can't pay a $400 emergency expense. We're still at a place where couples don't have the opportunity or education, and especially couples that come from backgrounds whose parents did not really talk about money or didn't really educate them or, well, one piece of financial advice was save, right? Like, I've got an immigrant mom from the Philippines. That was the advice. Yeah. End of discussion. Yeah. And it's like, love you, mom. But man, that didn't, that didn't, wasn't enough. I needed yeah. more. And now that back yeah. left it, if you yeah. yeah, there's been a series of nonprofits and think tanks that has done so much research about, especially if you come from immigrant families, how even if you were earning more income, you could still have materially less wealth built up because you're not investing. Mm-hmm. Saving Great advice. You're right. I was strapped. <laughs> yeah. In actuality, the dollars and cents. Yeah. Well, you're actually oh, literally losing money in the long term. And I know, I mean, it's a part of what makes me thankful for fintech companies and just being in this industry in general is because I've gotten to learn, right, from covering the space, the what creating generational wealth can look like. And, and I'm at your boat here of like, I'm someone that's trying to create that generational wealth mm-hmm. for the first time. Like, I'm the one stepping into that space. And I, I couldn't agree more that there's just still so much room for fintech to actually help people and what they need and what they're already doing and then using technology as the enabler. It's why behavioral finances is also so important. And I feel like you're using so much of that for plenty. And yeah, I can't wait to see how it goes, what is in store for it. And maybe I'll get on the wait list, you know, and get off of it at some point. So I'm excited to bring you an Antoine on the project. Oh, yes, I know. Did you hear that? (laughs) He's dying laughing. Anyways, Emily, thank you so, so much for joining us. And we are going to wrap that up. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Woohoo!
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.